0: Do you know what else we should do? What? How about a docket TikTok channel where we oh. can do, like, dances and video, let's whatever happens that, there.
1: Let's leave that kind of content to Peter Sankoff and Penny Sankoff, who I think have done some
2: lovely little TikTok dances as part of their
0: podcast. Yes, so we need more of Peter on TikTok. That's what we need.
2: <laughs> you can't prove it, oh, oh. You got nothing legit, oh.
0: Rocket, episode 125, I'm Michael Spratt. Hi,
1: I'm Emily Tamman.
0: How are you, Emily Tamman?
1: Hot. It's very hot here.
0: There's a heat wave. There was some rain, though, so that's good.
1: That's good for the, the wee plants.
0: It helps our backyard setup.
1: It does. But yeah, it's it's one of those days where you just hope to God the cooling centers are open.
0: Perfect day for me playing tennis. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to die. In the
1: evening, though, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. it's not until evening, so it should be okay. But I did do some things outside.
1: You did. You've been productive.
0: Swept, did things, joined TikTok. Oh, God. I'm not going to tick or talk or whatever it's called, but I I like uh, swiping up and seeing things.
1: You just want to relate to your teenage child. It's cute and also a bit embarrassing.
0: Well, she was embarrassed because the algorithm was suggesting the same things to me that it was suggesting to her, which made her feel incredibly lame, which is probably valid.
1: I still don't have the TikTok.
0: The, the only reason I really got it is because, um, Charlie was making fun of me for watching
1: some kind of Instagram reels, on, reels. on
0: Instagram or something. And that's like not the OG or whatever. So yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm on the TikTok. Well, it's great. Good for you.
1: It's great. Entering the modern age, I tell you.
0: I'm old. <laughs> what else is going on? Well,
1: not really not very much at all. Just the usual routine of be at home, be at home, be at home work from home, parent from home, and then be at home on the weekends?
0: Um, Instead of complaining, like (laughs) a complainer, that was your opportunity. I was setting it up, teeing it up. It was an underhand pitch in softball. It was um, teeing up the ball in golf or whatever that happens there for you to say that um, you had a big day because not only have you won as a litigant in the Federal Court of Appeal, But you also won as counsel this week in the Federal Court of Appeal, and so you should be uh, talking about that instead of um, complaining or whatever you did. I wasn't listening.
1: Just patting myself on the back, you know, a little judicial review. Check.
0: It's been good times. (laughs) Should we just get right into it? I think so. let's just do it. Yeah. I'm angry.
1: I know, and with good reason.
0: But before we get to that, there's something that we have to say. And you're just going to sit there silently? It's your turn to do the read. Go.
1: This episode of The Docket is brought to you by Iman Publishing's Criminal Law Series, anchored in the expertise of general editors. You fail. You fail. (laughs) You're done.
0: This episode is brought to you by Iman Publishing's Criminal Law Series, confidently navigating criminal law cases with detailed procedural and tactical guidance from subject matter experts. Each book covers a specialized area of criminal practice written from the perspective of both Crown and Defense. The series is anchored by the expertise of general editors Brian H. Greenspan and Justice Vincenzo Rondinelli. You can learn more about the series and read sample chapters from each book by visiting imond.ca slash docket. And there's one particular book that I'd like to make reference to. Again, I'm sorry, Imond, it's not part of the Criminal Law series, but It is a book about criminal law. (laughs) Sorry. You're just going to sit there. This is all me.
1: I mean, I don't know. You just were staring at me. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to speak.
0: It's called Modern Criminal Evidence, set to be released in August of 2021, with a cadre of impressive writers, Matthew Gurley, Brock Jones, Jill Makepeace, Glenn Crisp, and Justice Pomerantz.
1: My goodness, all-star team! Do you why, know why isn't this part of the criminal law series? I suppose that's not our question to ask. No,
0: I. Let's not get into giving Emond doc explaining how publishing advice to, to it's Emond. Fair.
1: It's fair, but I mean the thing is, what's so great about this is that I mean, as it is, um, a lot of reported decisions in the area of evidence law are criminal cases. Um, I actually taught a, an advanced criminal evidence course a couple of years ago at the University of Ottawa, and I, I wish I'd had this book, um, a book like this, to give to my students.
0: Justice uh, David Doherty?
1: Uh, I've heard of him. Yeah. He's a bit of a heavy hitter.
0: <laughs> there was this young lawyer once who was a little full of himself. And he was talking about, it. he's like, yeah, so I was in the Court of Appeal and it was awesome. Um, the judge, I, I'm not sure who it was. It was Justice Doherty.
1: Oh. That's like, oh, I,
0: like, um, Ooh, I no. hope you didn't call him that during the yeah.
1: hearing. <laughs> oh, if Ooh. you had, he would have probably snapped you down. Um,
0: so. Do you know what Justice Doherty says about this? That all of these these authors are in the prime of very active and successful careers at the criminal bar and have produced what will quickly become the go-to text. I
1: don't doubt an impressive roster of authors. Well done, Imon. Well done indeed.
0: Pretty good. So I mean, like, I think that that's something that um, that you should pick up. Now, unfortunately, our listeners get 10% off. But not of
1: that book. But not of that
0: book. But so you're gonna pay full price like everyone else.
1: But you do get a discount on books in the criminal law series. And that is an excellent series.
0: It is. Um, the latest book, Search and Seizure. Awesome. Good. I've Got a copy of it. It's great, and for our listeners, eMon is offering ten percent off titles in the Criminal Law series. All you have to do is visit eMon.ca/docket and enter code DOCKET ten at checkout. And do you want to know a secret? If you enter code DOCKET ninety nine at checkout, you get ninety nine percent off.
1: I think that's incorrect.
0: I broke it broke the <laughs> algorithm.
1: I don't think you did. I'm
0: pretty no? sure you didn't. You can't no. do that.
1: No. Ooh. Not at all.
0: Anyway, go do that. And now, back to the show. So before this, maybe you should pause and go back and listen to some of our older episodes, because we're going to be referring to to those a little bit. Um, Way back in the archives, episode 74, you and I and good friend of the podcast, Peter Sankoff, talked about uh, a new bill introduced by then Minister of Justice Jody Wilson-Raybould, uh, Bill C-75, which you know promised to eliminate court delays and bring racial equality to the criminal code. Uh, it hasn't worked out. We're going to be talking about one of the provisions in that bill.
1: I didn't remember that we did that episode with Peter.
0: I always try to forget those episodes too. <laughs> no. <laughs> and you should go back and listen to episode 118, one that we recorded just a while ago about the government's plan to 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 tackle uh, opioid deaths and drug policy not through decriminalization but through discretionary efforts because I think what we're going to talk about is a good warning sign about, you know, giving the police and crown discretion to do things is not a really great way to cure some problems that we have.
1: Yeah. I think that's fair, and I think we've um, said it at the time, and we're saying it again now uh, because it's sort of been borne out, hasn't it?
0: That's right. I mean, so this is something that I've been thinking about for a while. This is something that we were that you know I was critical of as you know more show than anything else back in 2018, and that is the provision in Bill C75. Uh, which is now law section uh, 523.1 of the criminal code, judicial referral hearings. And so these are hearings when someone is uh, accused of breaching their bail in a way that doesn't cause harm to anyone. So we're talking about, you know, failing to appear in court, curfew breaches, drinking when you're not supposed to be drinking, or other minor breaches, you know, perhaps going somewhere where you're not supposed to go typically and historically those people have been charged with breach offenses uh, criminal offenses and they've been prosecuted and and bill c75 set up a new regime that allowed the police or crowd attorneys to essentially divert those charges, have them not proceed through the criminal system, but refer them for a judicial hearing where a judge could take action to modify bail conditions, cancel uh, cancel bail even, or, you know, give a warning to, to the accused person. And that sort of moved things out of the criminal code. It, it was supposed to speed things up in terms of the justice system and save judicial resources. And the government said, you know, it was a mechanism that may help alleviate some of the disproportionate pressure that bail conditions put, put on um, marginalized communities, racialized individuals and indigenous people.
1: Yeah. So just by way of a little bit of background, some of which is fleshed out in our previous episode, if you want to check it out. But it's, there's a couple of things that the government claimed to be trying to address with these measures. Um, the first is um, delays in the justice system. So the justice system is very overburdened. And a very significant percentage of the court's docket is taken up with people that are charged with what are known as administration of justice offenses. So those are breaches of court orders, right? And many people had called for a long time for um, administration of justice offenses to be decriminalized because not only do they clog up the justice system, but they also can cause a lot of harm in the sense that, um, first of all, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is some evidence that, Disproportionate, like it's another um, area in which um, racialized people, for example, are disproportionately impacted.
0: That that's right. If you are um, rich, white, live in the suburbs, have extended you know family support, uh, money to spend on private counseling, and you're charged with a very serious offense, you're not only more likely to be released on bail, but more likely to be released on bail with fewer conditions or in circumstances where. You know, innocent breaches of those conditions because of your personal circumstances were less likely.
1: Right. And that also ties in to issues in and around over-incarceration because people that have been released on conditions who then breach those conditions, you know, are more likely to find themselves incarcerated when they come back before the court. So so this was something that I think is well understood to be a problem in the justice system. Understandably. You know, There's some hesitation to just say, okay, well, there's no consequence if you breach a condition because the argument there is that it takes away any incentive to comply with the conditions. So this was a kind of, I think, relatively ill-conceived, um, middle-of-the-road attempt to kind of get at the problem with administration of justice offences without doing something bold or radical or really thinking outside the box in any way, much as we discussed in the case of um, calls to decriminalize personal possession of drugs. You know, Instead of doing that, they've introduced measures that give police and the Crown certain discretions they can exercise um, to divert things. And this was like kind of similar in particular because in order to, for an accused to even have access to a judicial referral hearing, it has to be at the discretion of the police or the Crown.
0: That's right. And so I think we're gonna talk about in one minute how, how those sections have been used if judicial referral hearings have been used. But before we do that, I mean, it's not just us saying that that's what the government said that these sections would do, that they would um, help with court backlogs and help with you know systemic problems about racial inequity in the criminal code. That's what the government was saying when the bill was introduced. And I want to play uh, for you, Emily, um, Minister of Justice at the time, Jody Wilson-Raybould, and a quote from the parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Justice, Arif Varani. So here they are.
1: In addition, administration of justice offences impose an enormous burden on the criminal justice system. To respond to these challenges, Bill C-75 proposes a new approach. Police will retain
3: the option to lay a new charge for a breach or failure to appear where appropriate. However, if the offence does not involve physical or emotional harm to a victim, property damage, or economic loss, the police will have an additional option of referring the accused to a judicial referral hearing. This is an entirely new tool that will serve as an alternative to an unnecessary criminal charge, and that will substantially increase court efficiencies without impacting public safety.
0: What I would say is that with respect to the administration of justice offences, the concept of a judicial referral hearing was well thought out and well planned. It was meant to address a specific problem in the system, which is the overrepresentation representation of marginalized communities within the criminal justice system. Who am I speaking about, Madam Speaker? I'm speaking about Indigenous persons, racialized persons, marginalized persons, people su- uh, suffering under uh, addictions, etc. Those persons, what we have found, have been suffering and overly criminalized within the system because of breaches of what we call administration of justice offenses. So a breach of a bail condition, a breach of a curfew, results in a further criminal charge, a further criminal record, perpetuating a cycle of criminalization of these individuals. It was in the effort to reduce that cycle and to remove such people from the system and address the court delays that the member opposite has has discussed extensively in this House that we made the amendments. these judicial referral hearings are billed as a way to save court time and also bring more equality and justice into the court process. And I suppose they could, in theory, if they were being used.
1: Are they being used?
0: They're not. For a long time, defense counsel have been talking about uh, the fact that there haven't been any judicial referral hearings there has been you know anecdotal stories that certain police forces uh, maybe in Canada's largest city have unwritten policies never to use these hearings and certainly the the stories ab- about these hearings have been few and far between but for the first time this week we have some definitive numbers at uh, the Ottawa Police Service Board hearing um, Sandy Smallwood, who is uh, a member of the board, asked the Ottawa Police if they're using judicial referral hearings and how many times over the last two years since this legislation was enacted have the hearings been used. The answer was four.
1: Four, like thousand, four percent, four out of
0: four out of everything.
1: Four, four, just the four. number four. So no zeros.
0: Two after. years. Four times.
1: So that probably has really unburdened the justice system. That's four cases that didn't lead to charges. That's right.
0: In Canada's sixth largest city, these have been used four times.
1: That's not a lot.
0: It's not only not a lot, it doesn't come anywhere close to doing anything with respect to the purpose of the legislation.
1: In fact, rounding at fives, it's basically zero. (laughs) It's equivalent to zero. Seriously, this is a really important revelation, and I'm glad the question was asked, because we keep seeing time and time again this government putting forth extremely lofty goals with some of this legislation, despite expressions of of skepticism from experts and frontline workers uh, with experience with the system. And essentially, I think people coming forward and saying, if you leave this to police discretion, it's not going to change anything.
0: People said that at the committee hearings, you know, eminent experts, uh, Professor um, Jillian Rogan, Professor Nicole Myers, and a bunch of other people told the government. They said look, if you leave this to the police officer's discretion or or the Crown's discretion, it's not going to deal with systemic issues. We already know that police already have the discretion not to lay charges. Crown already have the discretion not to proceed. Leaving it to their discretion isn't actually going to do anything. And the government didn't listen to that.
1: And I mean, that's exactly what we've been saying in the context of the amendments to the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. Like, these tools already exist. And... The government thinks that by making it explicit that you'd like those tools to be considered in this case, even though they should be considered in all cases, um, I think goes to show what a hollow gesture this is. Um, and so I just think it's really, really a fascinating um, revelation to see. I, I expected the number would be low, especially because you know, you've know you kind of said how you just don't hear about them very much. You don't see them taking place. Um, but to see the number come back so close to zero when this was put forward as like a silver bullet to tackle two huge problems in the justice system, the backlog and the delay issue and the question of systemic discrimination. Like, come on.
0: Yeah, no, it's particularly bad. Uh, It's bad because parliament, you know, the, the government didn't listen to experts and they were warned. It's bad because The the tools that they have put in place to deal with those really important issues uh, aren't being used. And it's bad because in six months or a year from now, this government will still be saying that they're taking actions to address racial inequality and court delays. And now they know that there's this problem. And I predict that in two years from now, we'll look back and they won't have done anything to fix it. Um, It crosses off sort of a talking point and the real danger is that this is the same approach that they're using for drugs like we talked about like you just said and they've been like the same people are making the same warnings it's going to happen again you can't when when a system is broken you can't say to the actors in the system who are responsible for the system being broken we'd really like you to do better because they either don't want to or they don't know how
1: and they're not going to see it as a priority because, like you say, they, in their minds, they've already addressed the issue of administration of justice offenses, right? So if you were to go to the attorney general today and say, Minister Lametti, we're concerned about the ways in which administration of justice offenses are disproportionately impacting, you know, racialized people and are burdening the justice system, he would probably say. Let me direct your attention to Bill C 75, where we created these judicial referral hearings. And while, on the one hand, like, yes, change takes time, and, you know, this requires like a pretty fundamental rethinking by police and crowns. Um, but I think that is an argument in favor of having made this at least partially mandatory in some context, or at least at the discretion of the court and not at the discretion of the crown and the police because I think as we're seeing it that is just not the, the crown and the police are part of the problem right so if you just turn to them to implement the solutions even when people are acting in good faith I just don't think that that's going to be the way that we're going to like usher forward the type of change that's really required
0: and I mean we've talked about this as well if you want good justice policy you have to listen to the experts you have to be able to be bold and and take, you know, political criticism from your from your opponents and you have to be open to the idea that your first proposal maybe isn't the best proposal and there's ways that you can amend or change what you have proposed to actually accomplish the goals that you say you want to come about and It's very disappointing that a government who made those promises before they were elected haven't done that. And I want to play you one more clip, Emily. Okay. Take a listen to this.
3: And what I'm proposing to do in Parti vers 15 is to replace the uh, discretionary May with an obligatory shall, to ensure that a police officer is required to send the accused who is found in breach of bail condition to a judicial referral hearing so long as there's no harm that's being done to any member of the public. Uh, And, of course, the effect of this would be that it would no longer be at the officer's discretion whether this step was taken. This was, again, recommended strongly in testimony before the committee by the Society of United Professionals that represents legal aid lawyers across Canada, as well as testimony of Jane Sprott, Cheryl Webster, and a number of others. Uh, The question is really, our police officers are are trained in many things, and they do a fine job in, in the things for which they are trained. They are not trained for this. They're not equipped to make this determination. And so by making it obligatory, except if there is a uh, significant threat of harm to a member of the public, it will enforce the direction the government wishes to go in this bill. And I think it would be be an improvement and one that comes recommended from a, a group of legal professionals who deal with this client group more than anyone else. Thank you, Mr. Chair.
0: That of course was Elizabeth May
1: may always doing her homework on the on the bills
0: elizabeth may uh she was then leader of the green party i think maybe in 2018 there was only her and perhaps one other mp so a very small caucus she wasn't on the justice committee but she showed up she read all the testimony She is, and I don't know the exact sort of like parliamentary procedures, but she's not, I don't think allowed to make amendments Amendment requests, but it's like suggestions or something like that. But
1: where's Jeremy Hughes when he, we need him? He's got the answer to these questions.
0: I know. And yes, yes, yes. We, we could know these, the answers to these questions. They're easily ascertainable online, but
1: it's besides the point. I'm
0: sorry. But she didn't have to be there. She wasn't on the committee. She read all the evidence. She showed up. She actually applied the evidence to the principles and suggested a reasonable amendment that was supported by the NDP but was voted down by the Liberals. And this committee at the time was chaired by Anthony Housefather. And you'll remember he is the chair who said that um, after the Liberals lost their majority and so they didn't have necessarily complete control over these committees. He said, well, now now that we don't have complete control, we might actually have to listen to what other people say. But this is when they did have a majority, an example of, of the chair and the committee not listening because they didn't have to.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. And I mean, listen, Elizabeth May, she has her flaws, as we all do, but my God, she has, when it comes to criminal justice policy, and I've never been particularly impressed by their platform commitments in criminal justice necessarily, although in 2015, they did, they did promise to bring back the Law Reform Commission. So hats off to Elizabeth May for that. Um, but I mean, there are many, many examples of her coming to the Justice Committee, um, with questions that are demonstrate a deep understanding of the bill a a huge amount of preparation and especially at a time you know whether that was exactly the case in 2018 but there were years where she was the only MP and there's a lot of committees
0: she does that at every committee
1: exactly and so I really want to give her kudos for that because that is someone who takes her job very seriously um the legislative part of it and um and and i think she just hit the nail on the head and so often she does like she often would raise questions that nobody else is asking that really do go to the crux of the problem and that show like i said like a, a deep understanding of of the purpose of the bill uh, a deep understanding of the evidence uh in, in relation to its potential flaws and what's needed to make it better
0: and she also had another amendment um that was that she proposed that was well the police can refer it for a hearing the crown can refer it for a hearing why don't we have the accused being able to refer it for a hearing as well and of course that was voted down too
1: yeah yeah so i mean that's that is very interesting and it's just so interesting to look back now because i think i mean i haven't listened to our episode from the time but i suspect we've probably raise some of these concerns ourselves. I don't know if we did or not, but just intuitively. There were a um, lot of concerns with that bill. There were. Um, and uh, But to, to hear the concerns that were raised by people like Elizabeth May and by the experts, and to see now here we are, whatever it is, four years later,
2: three two, years later?
0: Three. Two, yeah. two, since, it, S- since, two since, since it became law. Became law. Um,
1: and to see the numbers be that low, uh, I think... I think that's a real problem.
0: I think that it is incumbent on uh, David Lametti and the government to take action to address this. They wanted things to happen. They're not happening. So you're in power. Fix it. And I think it's also a good example about, you know, in legislation, there should be a mechanism to force reporting on this. We shouldn't have to wait two years to have, you know, uh, a progressive member of a police board ask a question about it, you know, maybe pushed by members of the public to do so, you should have you know, proactive reporting so that we could know after six months, after 12 months, after 18 months, are these provisions actually being used?
1: I mean, all you have to do is look at the issue of solitary confinement and the conversation that we had with Tony Dube in a context where the government actively claimed to want monitoring and reporting and feedback. and you know, they clearly didn't um, even there. So yeah, no, and I I think it's important, especially if as they claim, this is part of a suite of legislative changes that are supposed to address some really, really important and concerning problems with the justice system. You would think that if that was a genuine commitment and that you really wanted to tackle that issue, that like you said, you'd be doing that monitoring and adjusting as you go and recognizing that a measure like this is not working is an opportunity to either scrap it or tinker with it or propose something totally new but instead they're just gonna have talking points that say we address that by creating judicial referral hearings so I hope like I hope that you or that the police service board or someone is going to find a way to get this on um, Minister Lametti's radar uh, because yes there's an election around the corner and whatever but um If they're sincere about wanting to deal with this, then they should be concerned about this and they should be interested to receive this information and act on it.
0: And it should impact how they deal with other issues, you know, like discretionary diversion of drug offenses, because if it doesn't work here, it's not going to work there. And it should cause us, I mean, problems like this cause a a lack of confidence in the justice system. When you have, you know, an omnibus bill that says it's going to do a lot of things and one of them is... Not happening at all. It's like if you have a contractor at your house to do a giant renovation and you know, you flush the toilet and water starts coming out of the ceiling, the next thing you think is like, oh shit, that guy did the electrical too. That guy did my insulation. That guy did the structural, you know, foundation work. Maybe I should check all of those things too since he's so fundamentally fucked up. The first one.
1: Yeah, well, I think a great example of that would be the peremptory challenges issue. Is like, are they following up on jury constitution to see whether juries are more diverse since they eliminated peremptory challenges?
0: There's no money in the follow-up. Are
3: they looking It either proves
0: that you're right, and then you can then, I mean, you don't gain anything from that, or more damagingly, it proves that you weren't right and you need to do something else. And that's, you know, hard things are hard, Emily.
1: So they are. So they are. Anyway, this is really, really interesting, and I'm, I'm glad that you came into possession of this information, and I hope that it gets into the hands of somebody who wants to do something about it.
0: Great. Let's wrap it.
1: Let's wrap it. I just want to say one little thing that of interest that's on our radar going forward, which is that the Supreme Court of Canada granted leave in the Bissonnette case, which um, is something we've talked about previously, the availability of back-to-back... Uh, consecutive life sentences um, is going to be considered by the Supreme Court. And I think that's going to be really interesting and important. Uh, So that was a little something that happened in the world of criminal justice in the past week or so.
0: Yeah, I've got a list of things that we sort of need to talk about. Um, And I won't embarrass them because I I don't even know if they want their name said. But um, you should come and join uh, the Docket's Discord group. There's a link in the episode description because we have a nice little community where we're like talking about things. And one of our dedicated listeners um, was the bronze medalist on the Dean's List.
1: Someone smart.
0: Totally smart. smart. And so it's so nice to see some, you know, some of our listeners get called to the bar, conduct their first trial and, and do really well. So it's been super fun to watch that develop and come join us. Hang out. We talk about stuff.
1: I mean, I won't, but I, I hope others do. It's just like not a platform that resonates with me. But I I love that that discussions happening. And I love that um, people have found a community with whom to actually, you know, dig into these issues a little bit more. And it's great. And I certainly um, think anyone who's interested in doing that should join our Discord community. For sure.
0: Do you know what else we should do? What? How about a docket TikTok channel where we oh. can do like dances and video whatever happens there
1: let's leave that kind of content to Peter Sankoff and Penny Sankoff who I think have done some lovely little TikTok dances as part of their podcast yes we need more of Peter on TikTok
0: that's what we need (laughs)
1: Um, thanks for listening friends
0: bye thank you to Jeremy Fisher for allowing us to use his awesome song uh oh as our introduction music you can check out more at the podcast page at michaelspratt.com or you can subscribe to The Docket on iTunes. If you like it, spread the word. You can follow Emily on Twitter at Emily Tamman and you can follow me on Twitter at mspratt. Thanks for listening.